From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. The history of the U.S. of legalized segregation and redlining has forced communities of color to live near fossil fuel infrastructure and other sources of air pollution. And this leaves communities of color in economic and environmental circumstances that make them most vulnerable to climate change impacts. Welcome back to Season 7 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Climate change amplifies the divide between the haves and the have-nots. And domestically, Miami is the crisis's ground zero. Abigail Fleming, Miami Law's practitioner and residence at the My Son Foundation Environmental Justice Clinic, and EJC intern Kate Drumluck dive into equitable weatherization. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Abigail and Kate. Nice to have you both. Good morning. So nice to be here. Yeah, good morning. Thank you so much for having us. Great. So let's start with you, Abigail. Miami is home to the second biggest wealth gap in the United States. In your opinion, how does this disparity play out in in terms of climate change? And am I correct that that same correlation applies throughout the U.S. and and globally? And is it only coastal or more wide ranging? Catherine, you are exactly correct. Um, as you know, and as I've shared here with on the Miami Ex- Law Explainer, due to the continuing emissions of heat-trapping gases, the Earth's climate is warming at an unprecedented rate, and this is leading to widespread, severe impacts for societies, economies, and ecosystems. Um, we know that climate change is happening now and to all of us, and so no country or community is immune. And as always is the case, the poor and vulnerable are the first to suffer and the worst to be hit. The negative effects of widely recognized environmental degradation are felt disproportionately by developing countries and poor populations across the globe. So we're seeing historically marginalized communities already experiencing natural disasters, weather extremes, food and water insecurity, economic disruption, and more. When we're looking globally at the role of the United States, uh, the U.S. is responsible for 25% of the world's greenhouse gases, even though it constitutes only 4% of the world's population. So that makes the U.S. one of the leading carbon contributors with some of the least progressive climate policies of any developed nation. And when we're looking more locally, Here in the U.S., these shocks and stressors are exacerbated by changes in the global climate systems and are disproportionately borne by black and brown people. The history of the U.S. of legalized segregation and redlining has forced communities of color to live near fossil fuel infrastructure and other sources of air pollution. And this leaves communities of color in economic and environmental circumstances that make them most vulnerable to climate change impacts. So we see communities that are plagued by this history of of devaluation, disinvestment, and exploitation um, really calling for a just transition. And what I mean by a just transition is a transition away from the fossil fuel economy to renewable technologies economy that really puts communities at the forefront of decision-making providing for access to benefits, and then also remediating those historical harms. The Biden administration has acknowledged this. Um, Our current failing infrastructure is not prepared to face the effects of the tougher and worsening natural disasters. So the administration is looking to fix transportation infrastructure, deliver clean water to all, renew um, the electric grid, 
and then weatherize homes and buildings across the nation, creating quality jobs and really revitalizing the manufacturing industry. Um, one part of that plan I want to highlight is weatherization. Uh, rehabilitating and retrofitting affordable, accessible, energy efficient, and resilient housing. And not just residential housing, this is also commercial buildings, schools, and childcare facilities all over the country. Uh, weatherization is the process of protecting infrastructure from the elements, and it's vital for long-term resiliency. And there's a huge desire within rental and low-income communities to weatherize. But as we're seeing, there's a growing divide between those who can weatherize their homes and for those who do not have access to the tools or funds necessary to do so. I know that uh, equitable weatherization is a particular specialty of, of yours. So can you talk a little about what are the, the biggest nuts and bolts issues that need addressing in equitable weatherization? Absolutely. Um, weatherization essentially involves protecting infrastructure from the elements. So down here in South Florida, we know that we are increasingly susceptible to high heat days, hurricanes, and flooding. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, our failing infrastructure is really not prepared um, to take on these, these worsening impacts. And worse yet, historically, um, we, we see minorities, low-income communities, and the elderly um, are disproportionately affected and tend to spend three times more on energy costs um, than, than non-low-income homes. So equitable weatherization is really an opportunity to meet community needs by enhancing access to energy efficient and resiliency improvements, um, particularly for households within marginalized communities who are really subject to immense energy burdens um, that put both um, health and housing security at risk. This process has several benefits, including energy savings, water savings, and health benefits. So we see that improving the infrastructure of a, of a home can really alleviate asthma symptoms, improve indoor air quality um, for contaminant concentrations, including mold and dust, and overall benefit physical and mental health. So by reducing the energy consumption and really increasing energy efficiency, efficiency and storm protection, not only does that weatherization provide vital protection in the event of a disaster, but it also mitigates low carbon emissions, which really helps alleviate the harshest consequences of global warming that are already being felt along racial and socioeconomic lines. Um, weatherizing really preserves um, NOAA or naturally occurring affordable housing and really keeps communities in place. And this direct directly connects to our mission and work at the Environmental Justice Clinic at UM Law. Okay, Kate, let's bring it over to you. Can you can you take our discussion home to Miami Law and, and tell us a little about the efforts that the clinics are undertaking? So as a student in the Environmental Justice Clinic, we partner with the Peer Group and Catalyst Miami to assist in a community-led initiative to create the Equitable Weatherization Clinic, which is staffed by peer group attorneys and interns. Um, the clinic will connect low-income households to existing weatherization programs, audit those programs to identify underlying barriers to weatherization, and then also develop solutions to any of those barriers identified. Through this work, we're aiming to ensure that community needs are met throughout Miami. In a recent survey of Miami homeowners, 100% of respondents stated that they would make energy efficient improvements if they had the financing options available. Um, the largest motivators included rising energy costs and combating climate change, which touches back on a lot of the issues that Abigail brought up um, about this uh, equitable weatherization issues throughout the United States. Um, and three things that residents wanted most in South Florida included solar panels, flood proofing, and energy efficient appliances, especially AC units. 
Assisting re residents in weatherization provides the energy efficient and resilience improvements that are necessary to facilitate a just transition to clean energy in South Florida. Um, a climate simulation tool called En-ROADS shows that building efficiency and weatherization coupled with a gro growth in renewables alone would decrease global temperatures by 0.5 degrees Celsius, which is essential um, as excess global temperature increases over the next century can have potentially catastrophic impacts. Kate, how did you end up at the clinic? Kind of what was your, your journey to end up doing this very vital work? So before law school, I was primarily involved in scientific research and I earned my undergraduate degree in marine biology, also from the University of Miami. Um, I came to the decision to attend law school because I really wanna play an active role in protecting both the environment and communities disproportionately impacted by environmental degradation. Um, in law school, the Environmental Justice Clinic has provided me the opportunity to meet these goals while working on groundbreaking issues that are so prevalent in our city, um, such as climate change, gentrification, and displacement. So through the clinic, I'm able to apply both my scientific knowledge and my legal expertise in this climate justice work and really strengthen my capacity as a legal advocate through our community lawyer approach in the clinic. Great, great. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, so Abigail, talk to me about what's next for, for the world and for the clinic and like, what's your next white whale? Well, like I said, Catherine, I, there must be a just transition. Um, communities, marginalized communities, they want to be at the forefront of decision-making. They want access to benefits. They want remediation of historical harms. So my goal really is to empower um, young advocates like Kate, uh, the next generation of advocates to serve as just transition lawyers. And I want my students to understand the historical background on the ways that um, colonialism and systemic racism really shape today's climate crisis. And I want them to explore different movement frameworks to address that racism. Um, the clinic is analyzing existing legal tools in environmental and climate law and policy um, and exploring those limitations and then examining different approaches to climate litigation and, and also community governance, mm -hmm. and then really investigating the role of lawyers in equitable uh, disaster recovery. So my students are asking questions like, what does it mean to be a land and water defender? How can we build the power of frontline communities? Um, so we're looking at shifting various legal practice areas to advance a just transition. And for weatherization specifically, with a laser focus on Miami, um, we are right now seeking to raise $5 million to support communities who are advocating for policy related to weatherization and municipal equity, um, providing legal services, like Kate said, to connect communities with weatherization programs and services. And then our largest goal is to equip 200 homes in low wealth communities with solar panels. So we have a lot of work before us. Sounds great. Well, this has been super interesting and uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, thank you so much for having us again. It's been really fun. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Homecoming 2021, Calling all Canes to join us November 4th through the 6th. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash alumni 2021.
forward slash homecoming dash reunions. We'll be right back.